The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. a Twin Peaks podcast. I'm Dave Jackson. I am joined by Patrick Mahan. Hey, everybody. And Tyler Mullins. This is me. <laughs> We're talking about the episode Rest in Pain. R.I.P. R.I.P. <gasps> How about that? <laughs> I just had this realization <laughs> that it's the same initials as Rest in Wow. So we're going to open this episode with Audrey waiting for Agent Cooper to walk down the hallway. He's on the tape with Diane talking about how today is the day of Laura Palmer's funeral. Mm. Next day. Yep. Who the hell is Diane? <laughs> She's back. I know. And I better than her ever. So much. <laughs> I know you missed her from the last episode. That's the no- still the number Wait, one mystery of this show. Weight off my <laughs> shoulders. You know, <laughs> just the fact that she's back. I know nothing else about her. But she's she's pretty dreamy though. You know, she's kind of this mystery. Well, yeah. I mean, right now you have to dream her up <laughs> to yeah. exist. You wonder if she's a real person. Honestly, I bet. Diane is the name of the tape recorder. Ooh, that that's digging deep. Is a layer. So Audrey catches Cooper walking down the hallway, and <laughs> he tells her that she smells incredible, and invites her to breakfast with him. Does he know Audrey's age yet? No. Do we? High school? I yes. Don't... No. I think he does because he knows she went to school with Laura because he asks her questions related. But does he know her actual age yet? Yeah, I don't know. Like, does she know if she's seventeen or eighteen? Th- yeah, I don't yeah, think I don't he knows yet. So that's Fine why. Line. He invites her over for breakfast, and he clearly knows that she's into him. He's investigating. He's investigating, but he's going about it in a really... Yeah, what does he he's say a, about... He's a female body inspector. Yeah. Oh, FBI. <laughs> FBI. <laughs> what does he say about her, like, slant, like, as of a romantic nature? Uh, yeah, he says the upward slant in her handwriting suggests a flirtatious nature. Romantic nature. Or romantic nature, and a heart that yearns. Yearns. To which she responds, I do. Yeah. Which is not grammatically correct. No. I do. But yeah, he's basically just confirming that it was her handwriting that write that wrote. Sorry, that's mm-hmm. not correct either. So Audrey, there's something you want to <laughs> tell me. Jack with one eye. Mm-hmm. So she wrote the note that says Jack with one eye that was slipped under his door with the perfume on it. I I guess does he try to get her to not get involved with this conversation or is he uh, sussing her out? No, I mean he just I mean, not really. He's definitely engaged and interested in chatting with her, but then he just has to let her go when Truman and Lucy walk in. Well, because yeah, because he shouldn't be business. seen having breakfast with a high school student, probably, too. I didn't get that, but sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I kind of feel like he didn't want to be misread. Sure. And so he dismisses her. Regardless, uh, yeah, Truman and Lucy show up to meet him. Uh, he has called Truman the night before to say that he knew the identity of Laura Palmer's killer. From his dream. From his dream. So they're joining him. Uh, he recounts uh, several facts from the dream that we didn't see in the dream sequence. He says that Mike shot Bob because he didn't like the killing anymore. That was never shown mentioned in the dream. Yeah. 
It was never shown. No. He gets asked by Truman, so who killed Laura Palmer? He says, a beautiful woman who looked just like Laura Palmer spoke to me, whispered the name of the killer in my ear. I said, well, who was it? I don't remember. <laughs> Truman. He remembers every other detail <laughs> yeah. of his dream, specifically very. But that's when he woke <laughs> up. In <laughs> such great detail. <laughs> but yes, it is when he woke up. Truman, who apparently is counting on this information from a dream to solve the case, goes, damn. <laughs> damn. And Lucy just trying to be part of the gang. Damn. <laughs> it's pretty great. Oh, man. That's awesome. He says, uh, if we break the code, solve, solve the, crime. the crime. Which is the first thing I wrote mm-hmm. on my paper, just as Lucy did. It was the first thing she wrote. Mm-hmm. Break the code, solve, solve the crime. crime. Want a stack of griddle cakes? <laughs> Warmed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing beats the taste sensation. <laughs> the taste sensation when maple syrup collides with ham. <laughs> He orders breakfast sternly before they even talk about the dream. <laughs> what amazing. saddened me mostly was that I assume he didn't get to enjoy that breakfast. No, absolutely Oh, yeah, never hit the not. table. The Great Northern is losing so much money <laughs> because he continues to order meals and leaves. It's true. Yeah. Well, yeah, he doesn't even pay for the meals he just <laughs> yeah. leaves for. Not that we see, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, no, he gets a message that there's a fight that's broken out at the morgue, and yep. he understands that it's got to involve Albert. Yeah. Who is the, uh, Who his, is the his Sultan partner. of Sentiment? <laughs> sultan of SWAT. <laughs> he is not the Sultan of Sentiment. <laughs> uh, we get to we get to the morgue and it's it's Albert getting into a fight with Doc Hayward over Lara's body and he's calling him an animal, saying he has no compassion. Mm-hmm. He says, "I have compassion coming out of my nose." <laughs> it's he the one place you don't want it coming out of. <laughs> All he wants to do is drill into a dead body. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Open caskets be damned. He wants to drill into this head right here, right now. Ben yeah. Horn is there. Who is and the buildup for it? Like he has enough family. time to unplug it and for it to stop before mm-hmm. he even makes contact with that body. Yeah. Yeah. yeah ben Horn is there, and I get he is the representative for right, the that's Palmers. What he says, yeah. Why? I has take there it been a because dynamic? they weren't close. I mean, there what there hasn't been since the first episode, really. When you see that they work together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, when yeah. he gets okay. the news, yeah, yeah. They're, they're business partners. So yeah, so we don't know that. Well, are they best friends? Are they? Yeah, right. are, are they family close? Because I don't think so. I think. I mean, I feel like I think they're lovers. Everyone in that town, like I, the way I feel is like all of the adults in Twin Peaks all went to school together. Sure. And we're friends. High school sweethearts. Knew everybody. Yep. So I like. I just feel like they work together and they've known each other their whole lives. Probably, yeah. From what I got from their relationship in the opening scene was it was a very business centric relationship, not even like a personal one. Right. So it, I just I just found it strange that Ben Horn was their representative because they felt like they weren't actually friends. They're just business associates. So it makes me wonder if Ben Horn didn't kind of wriggle his way into being the quote unquote representative. Like does just to Leland have even, like does some Leland kind even of weird there? advantage? Yeah. Well, Albert even mentions to him like, "I know that your social standing gives you a certain vantage point and makes your some of your right, you know, yeah, approaches sure. to things sure. acceptable." But he busts off this string of insults about blithering hayseeds and dunces and dumbbells and <laughs> dunces and dullards, <laughs> dunces, dullards, dumbbells, <laughs> <Yeah>. which <laughs> causes God. Harry Truman to slow motion punch it's the a hell slow out motion of him. punch for sure. But it's as if time stops for it, a moment. It's because time in Twin Peaks. <laughs> yep. But manages to make enough impact on him that he lands full body on top of Laura Lord Palmer's, Palmer's corpse. Dead body, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So he gets hit, and it's about time. I know I brought it up in, I think, episode zero or one about time in Twin Peaks. I guess it was episode zero. But now y'all keep talking about time in Twin Peaks, and <laughs> it's making me really think that. 
Time moves a, a lot differently in Twin Peaks. So I'm really confused. Whatever you want to think, buddy. It's, I think Twin Peaks is up to everyone's own interpretation, to be completely it, honest. It's just the only thing that makes sense to me. With this show, I think that, there's no right or wrong theories, and I think David Lynch wants you to think that as well. I think you want me to think it. As you keep bringing it up. The Neds. <laughs> that was a theremin sound. To, to indicate sci-fi. Oh, um, I see. But, uh, so, yeah, Cooper kind of dismisses everybody, says, release the body. Like, Albert, I want your results by noon. And so the body is cleared to go to the funeral. Uh, afterward, Cooper kind of places Laura's hand back on her body. It was knocked off from the punch. And I, I just, I liked that few seconds for the respect for the character, like showing that he does care about the people in this town. He does have a respect for the dead. Yeah. He's kind of the... He's the yin to Albert's yang, where Albert's very calculated and to the point. Cooper is the kind of spiritual and connected other side of what's an important team right. for this investigation. Because Albert does get results, and Cooper has to let some stuff go. <laughs> I was showing you that I was listening. <laughs> is that what that was? Because it was eerie. Have you seen the episode of Friends with the Thanksgiving? Where I've seen all episodes of Friends. <laughs> where Joe's going, hey, we're really sorry. <laughs> don't look at don't look at him. He's doing that thing with his eyes. Bulgy eyes. Hey, listen, we're, we're really sorry. <laughs> Can we talk about Invitation to Love? Please. Chet, my favorite character. So we have a soap opera within a soap opera, basically. Yep, uh, it's this... Uh, show within a show. Yeah, it's a television series that's airing within the series, and it's very stereotypical. It has names like Jade and Emerald and Montana. Mm-hmm. And Chet. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I want to watch the soap opera in real life. Sure, reading up made just a little episodes. bit. I don't. I guess I don't think I remember everything. But the guy who plays Chet, I think, was friends with Mark Frost or something. But a small it, minor detail. Yeah, I don't know if he's a legit actor or not. But but he's great in Invitation to Love, and everyone in the town seems super into it. Mm -hmm. So Invitation to Love is on the TV as Leland is being administered a sedative by the same nurse from the pilot. Sarah Palmer or freak yeah. out, yeah, in the pilot. And uh, it definitely mentions uh, identical twins in the cast, like so-and-so as Jade and Emerald. And yep. this is when we get introduced to Madeline, who is Laura Palmer's twin cousin, played by Cheryl Lee. Cheryl Lee. Yeah. Her, Shirley Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shirley Lynn. <laughs> did you pick up on that, Tyler? What? The Invitation to Love parallel? I did not. With no, what's I going had, on? Not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance. Um, so going back to the Red Room in episode two, mm -hmm. um, saying that this is Laura's cousin. Mm -hmm. Is that what he said? Mm -hmm. Like he right. said, this is Lauren's cousin. Right. Laura's he said, cousin. this is my cousin. He says it was his cousin. Oh, okay. But the man from another place says, this is my cousin. But still. Doesn't she look exactly like Laura Paul? Gotcha. But still. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's weird. It's a parallel. Like, mm -hmm. you know, a parallel. We need a soundbite. We're in a time we say connected. a parallel or there is a parallel. Parallel universe. There needs to be some kind of sound effect. Like but so clearly, the scene does, the clearly from Cooper's Dream, mm -hmm. clearly there are clues planted in that scene for stuff that's coming up. Yes. And we're already getting one right away with this because mm. there's that parallel. So it makes you wonder, does what other things that he says or that happens in that scene or even the stuff with Mike and Bob, does that stuff come back? We'll find out. Right. So did we talk about, I think it was the breakfast scene in the opening scene. With Mike and Bobby. With Mike and Bobby. Yeah. And uh, Harry's like, Mike and Bobby. Like, right. No different Mike and Bob. So that, like, I, love that. I didn't. I didn't even think about that. Right. Until he said that, I was like, "Oh I shit!" Love 
I love that. So he that's points, where time travel comes in. I love that. He obviously, points, <laughs> I love that he points that out though right away. Yeah, because mm-hmm. in case you weren't like you didn't get it, or if it yeah. just went over your head, which it did. It's laid out for you there. Yes. yes. It it also harkened me back to by an episode um, that wasn't directed by David Lynch. I'm rolling out the clues for you. <laughs> Should have known something was up when these <laughs> shots were cut every t- ten seconds instead of every five minutes. For real. It uh, it harkened me back to uh, when James mentioned that uh, Laura told him that Bobby may have killed somebody. Mm. So was Laura talking about Bobby, or was she talking about Bob? Because now we have this confusion of like what Mike and Bobby is being referenced in any instance. I need to rewatch this. Episode. It really makes you think. That's what I love about the show. It's just it it could be <laughs> so much. Okay, it's so kind we of have, amazing. We have Laura's cousin, who's filled with secrets. Oh, we don't <laughs> secrets, and she's. Just like Laura. She looks but identical to She looks Laura, just like Laura. Just glasses and... If she has glasses and dark and hair. it's like way super chipper. Yeah. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. nobody in Twin Peaks is that happy. She's peppy, yeah. Well, it's because she doesn't like, live in Twin Peaks. Yeah, I know. But yeah. even just being there. Right. Well, mm-hmm. I get, okay. It only solidified <laughs> as, as Laura's cousin because she comes in and says, Uncle Leland. Correct. Yeah. So, like, just by... But Madeline? then, you know, basic investigation, this is Laura's cousin. Is we don't you? see her again We d- in that episode. Not in the episode. Not really, no. Which, to me, is very strange. She just kind of shows up to the Palmer household and is there to console Leland. And then doesn't pop up again for the rest of the episode. Right. But does it show her at the Leland, or at the Palmer residence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where that's where she sees Leland. He's he's watching Invitation to Love, is being sedated, and then she comes in. So it's like, Uncle Madeline, Leland. is it really you? Oh, yeah. Okay. She's okay. like, when was yeah. the last time you saw her? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> like, how long I has remember it been? That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Clearly not many Palmer family reunions <laughs> happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it takes 15,000 hours to get to Twin Peaks, apparently. Once you cross the border, yeah. It's a time thing again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we have Norma at the double R uh, being kind of interviewed, I guess, by who I assume is her husband, Hank's representative from the prison, saying that he is up for parole. And uh, I guess he's trying to make sure that she'll be a part of his life if he gets out and will help him to become a productive member of society. Again, for me, this is another side plot where I'm just, it's soapy and yeah, it, just, this is like... I don't need midway it. through season three of Lost, like just stop it. <laughs> I, I don't. I I don't need this. The scene goes on too long. Yeah, like it, this could have been wrapped up in twenty seconds. But it does get made clear. Maybe David Lynch did direct this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it does get made clear later that clearly he's a major player in the story. Mm-hmm. Hank is involved in the story, but this scene it does not need to go as long as it does. We've just find out that Norma is planning on giving him a job when he gets out, if he gets out, and that this guy maybe tries to hit on her. I don't. I mean, she kind of shoots him down, maybe, but just says that her husband is homicidally jealous, but hopes to be a productive member of society real soon. And he kind of just says, "Well, I've got everything I need here." It's like I had everything I needed here twenty seconds ago before he walked in the door. <laughs> Didn't need it. Didn't need this <laughs> scene. Cooper and Truman have arrived at a location undisclosed. They're in the woods, kind of walking down a trail, and uh, Cooper wants the rundown on Leo Johnson. Uh, Truman gives him a fast and loose, and they uh, tell him that they haven't caught him in anything illegal, but he's always been a person of interest. So they find Leo Johnson, who is chopping wood in a long sleeve T-shirt and coveralls, the way a toddler would dress themselves. (laughs) He was totally wearing Oshkosh. (laughs) Bugosh. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, he's just chopping wood, 
I'm not sure what for, because I'm pretty sure I have not seen a fireplace in that and trailer. And he's not home to have a fire. Right. What are you doing? He's just chopping wood to chop it. Yeah. It doesn't even seem like something he would do in his free time. This is just no. axe practice for murders. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. Practice. <laughs> practice. But uh, they get to him, and they ask him if they can ask him some questions. Oh, he yeah, has uh, Leo. Is that short for Leonard? <laughs> is that That's a question? A question. <laughs> Where, how did you know Laura Palmer? I didn't. How well did you know her? I said I didn't know her. <laughs> this is an FBI agent. Yeah. What are you doing? Why are you not just complying a little bit? Yeah. Because he's guilty. I hate him. <laughs> I don't know. That ponytail is pretty sick, though. That's all he's got going for him is yeah. the sickness of his pony. And that's enough. <laughs> mm. I think that's what he's counting on. He's counting on his looks to carry him through life, and they are yeah. based entirely on his ponytail. That's true. But he reiterates that uh, he called Shelly from Butte, Montana, the night of Laura's murder. I do love that that got brought up again just because of your reaction. Butte? <laughs> yeah. Butte, Butte. But they said, will she confirm that? She will if you ask her. Chop. Yeah. Insinuating that he will kill her if she doesn't corroborate <laughs> his <Right>. story. Right. <laughs> All right, we're at the Briggs residence. Bobby is in a black suit uh, for the funeral, we assume. Standing in front of a crucifix, and he starts to stretch his arms out to the side and then slowly reach up towards it with, like, claw hands before he's interrupted. What was he about to do with it? Got that Jesus fever. (laughs) The old J-Fieve. So Bobby starts to reach for this crucifix, and he gets interrupted by his father, General Garland Briggs, Mm. who... (laughs) What a man. It's kind of my reaction every time he comes on screen. That man is talented. He starts to lecture Bobby about the inevitability of death or just the progress of people and moving forward. And Bobby's reaction is like playing with a lighter, like trying to burn himself. Yeah, that is weird. And he's just talking. (laughs) But Bobby, don't be afraid. We'll all be there together. Afraid? Afraid! (laughs) He can't wait. He's going to turn the funeral upside down aspires for that why does he get so mad about it too like why i don't know bobby bobby briggs is just angry young man i'd say he's the wild card yeah never know what i'm gonna get with bobby briggs (laughs) one minute he's barking (laughs) that's true also what happened to mike he's at he's at the funeral no he's at the funeral yeah he he does show up later at the funeral he's but he's he's trying to break oh yeah yeah Me too, me too. He starts screaming that he's going to turn the funeral upside down. He screams so loudly that Garland Briggs has to adjust his posture to handle the volume. Mm -hmm. And then Beth Briggs rolls into the room acting like nobody is screaming. She goes, are we ready? (laughs) (laughs) Which is really funny. It's like, did you not just hear this conversation? Mm Because it was kind of loud. Yeah. Oh, she definitely heard it. There's no way she missed it. But just acts like she didn't. Ready to go? So uh, back at the station, Deputy Hawk has been unable to lock down the one-armed man, but Cooper tells him to keep trying. Uh, Cooper and Harry meet with Albert, and they get kind of the rundown on what Albert found off Laura's body, that she was tied up twice in two different locations Mm -hmm. with two different types of twine, once by the wrists and once with her arms pulled back. Like they're bending backwards. Sometimes her arms bend back, which was referencing Cooper's dream. Pretty cool. Uh, they also found uh, cocaine in her system. Yeah. References that she had a habit. And that there was a partially digested piece of plastic in her stomach with the letter J on it. Maybe that's why she was nervous. Because <laughs> she didn't know if she could swallow that piece of plastic. <laughs> yes. Nervous about eating J. Eating J. 
eating, Jay, obviously. Jeez Louise. Get it together, guys. <laughs> uh, they also noted that the killer had kissed Laura after she had been tortured and murdered. Like this. But Hand on the back of the head. They only picked it up because of soap. Soap. Yeah. Soap remnants. Uh, the killer washed his hands. Yeah. And then went in for a kiss by putting his hand on the back of her head. Very specific. Yeah. Albert's gestures are very accurate and specific and to the point. Well, he's the sultan of sentiment. He mentions uh, the, the bite and scratch marks on her shoulders, to which Truman replies, an animal. <laughs> Albert goes, look, it's trying to think. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Is he trying to get hit again? <laughs> I think so. He's just one of those people. So uh, it comes time for the funeral. So they... Start to head out, but Albert stops Cooper. Harry goes ahead and leaves and uh, tries to file a report on Harry Truman about being it's assaulted, right. basically. Yeah. And uh, Cooper fires back pretty hard, saying, like, if you pursue this, I'm going to bury you in an office in Washington and you'll never see the light of day again, basically. Right. Like, he's going to bat for these people. Yeah. And as, they, as Albert leaves, he gets on his tape recorder and addresses Diane says, remind me to look into my real estate options in Twin Peaks for what I'm sure will be a reasonable priced homestead. Like, this is where he wants to be. Yep. It's very cool. He's falling in love with this great town. Oh, he's falling in love with Twin Peaks. This is where we get back to the Hurley homestead where Nadine rushes up to Ed, latches onto him like a spider monkey once again, and mentions last night being wonderful and saying that she knew... It's either they made love or she's just talking about the drapes. I don't know if she's actually the referencing drapes. the previous night. She may be remembering a night from years before because she goes on to say, like, I've been watching you and Norma, but I knew that it was always you and me, even though I was this little brown mouse that if you got to know me, you would love me. It's Which almost like she's... not the case. It feels like she's remembering a different time because James pulls up on time his... time works differently in Twin Peaks. Right. We, we all know that. Right. <laughs> But James pulls up on his motorcycle, and she says, that's not your bike, is it? Yeah. And says, no, it's James. She says, James She who? says, whose bike is that? That just, to I me... Have no, I have no words. To me, it felt like she was in her head in a different time. gone. And this is probably why Ed's she's, still she's around. Like, why can't I only see out of one eye? I have two. That's where <laughs> she is. Right. Every time she looks in the mirror, oh, well, what was that about? <laughs> it's her, uh, what is it, in Inception? They're, they're like token. Her totem. Yeah. <laughs> totem. <laughs> Oh, right, I have one eye. <laughs> so, yeah, James comes to the house, but then busts in the door, leaves it open, walks in. He says, you ready for the funeral? Says, I'm not going. I'm so emotional. And then leaves. Like, what, was it, what was his original intention? Yeah, why was he going to blast in? over there? He's just going to blast in, leave the door open, and just be home? <laughs> like also, an animal? Just not going to close the door? Also, a lot of time has passed between her noticing the, mic the motorcycle, bringing it up, and then him entering the home. Because time works differently here. We all know that. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, but from the time so weird. James pulled up, he was floating in space and yeah. then walked in the door. It, it was really picked up on that the second time that like she brought it up. His motorcycle was already there, but he didn't walk in until after their conversation was over. Right, just to say he's not going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He blasts in, leaves the door open, stands there, says he's not going, and then leaves. Yeah. Tough guy. Why did you come home? Yeah, could have done that over email. <laughs> you could have made a call, gotten transferred. Yeah. <laughs> It would have been really complicated and super awful. Uh, after this, we have Audrey at the Great Northern Hotel overhearing her mother and father arguing about Johnny wearing a headdress to the funeral. Dr. Jacoby is there working with Johnny, trying to get him to take the headdress off. But Audrey slips into a secret passageway between the walls. That apparently nobody knows about. I feel like she made it. <laughs> yeah, which if I'd she did, she's that. super handy. I'd go with that. 
Because she slips in, pulls this section of the wall out so she can look through a peephole to see Dr. Jacoby getting her brother Johnny to take his Native American headdress off. It's got to be her hidey hole. There's no other explanation. Yeah, that, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's weird, like, because the entrance to that was obvious, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact that there's a hole in the wall that you can, like, it was, it was sizable. I, I would take that it's a service section, like it's, it's a path that you can take to get to some pipes or something. But the fact that there is yeah. a piece of wall that can be pulled out that's clearly <laughs> carved out to have a peephole, that's intentional. Somebody put that there. Yeah, and that's I, true. I feel like it had to be Audrey because she's this. Well, yeah, I mean, really, who weird, else would diabolical tell person. her about it? Right. right? How do you just stumble upon? Yeah, that. you don't. Or do you? Another mystery. <laughs> I need to talk about the scripture reading at the funeral. <laughs> yeah, please. So it's not an actual scripture. It's Part of it is an actual scripture. I looked it up because I was curious. Yeah. Part of it is actually from Romans 14. But it is worded in such a way <laughs> that it is so repetitive <laughs> and weird and just goes on and on. I didn't notice this either in the first or second or many watches of this scene until you pointed it out to me. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For if we live... We live unto the Lord, and if we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or we die, we are the Lord's. Blessed be the dead who die in the Lord. Even so saith the Spirit, for they rest from their labors. The Lord be with thee. It reminds me a lot of when Joey tries to come up with the... (laughs) Yeah. Yes, exactly that. <laughs> oh, man. The giving and the loving. <laughs> and the having and the receiving. The reason, the reason I never even picked up on it is because you're so focused on the characters and just because it's cutting to, isn't it that when it's cutting to everybody? Mm-hmm. It, yeah. yeah, it's kind of the, the panning across everybody's faces. Yeah, so it's just showing everyone's just looking at each other mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at, I'm more focused on their expressions than I am on what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So I never, I never picked up on such and the repetition I, of... Again, you have Cooper taking note of Audrey and Audrey taking note of Coop and Mm -hmm. her making a suggestive and sultry face at him and him being receptive at a funeral. Guys, there's a time and a place. Yeah. So they get to the end of the scripture recital and Audrey's brother Johnny starts yelling, Amen! Amen! Amen. And we get one more rousing amen out of Bobby. Amen! Amen! And... Okay, so this is where Bobby, for just a moment, kind of seems a little self-aware and almost altruistic, saying that right. they they all knew she had a problem, they all knew things were going on, but nobody did anything about it, and nobody but helped did they? her. Like I, I feel like nobody has known any of the things that were going on with Laura. I don't think anybody individually knew the big picture, but everybody knew something about her. Oh, like little things. Yeah, that, like yeah. they all had a piece of the puzzle, but yeah. they didn't do their respective parts to keep her from getting in trouble. I mean, but Bobby is the one who is helping Leo run drugs. So right. he so he effectively is the one giving had Laura a problem. The yeah. Drugs. He definitely was causing a problem. She had a psychiatrist who had his own motives for having her in his office who wasn't doing anything to help her. Right. 
just but is it f- is it right after the speech that he charges at James? Yeah, because James shows up during the uh, <clears throat> the preacher's speech, and then Bobby does his thing where he says, "We all killed her. Like we we all had a hand in this." Yeah. And then he spots James and decides that's the priority. Just kind of charges him through everybody else. Keeps saying, you're a dead man, you're dead. Mm-hmm. And everybody's holding James back from Bobby and holding Bobby back from James. Slow motion. Chaos. Mike. Everything. <laughs> All of it. And Leland decides the best course of action is to freak out and jump onto the casket being lowered into the ground. Yeah. Which starts going haywire. Yeah, yeah. And one of the lowering, coming up and lowering down. Is it one of the grave diggers like off screen? Is like it's going haywire. <laughs> the whole thing's gone haywire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I assumed that was the preacher. Was but it? Maybe. I don't know. It could have been a grave digger. <laughs> it was just somebody off screen. The whole thing's gone haywire. It's Pete Martell. <laughs> the whole thing has gone haywire. Hi-wire. Wrapped in plastic. <laughs> there was a fish. <laughs> In the, in the per- coffin. No, uh, Sarah leans down into the de- the death pit. No, it's not the word. <laughs> grave. The grave. The pit of death danger. pit. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah leans over the grave and screams at Leland not to ruin this too, as he's sobbing, riding the coffin up and down. Because he already ruined her framed picture. Right. And I thought, which is that, is that what she was talking about? I don't know, but yeah. What the, else did he ruin? Yeah, but at the start of this episode, when when he's getting, mm-hmm. it shows the picture in the frame, and it's fine. At least they fixed normal. it. Yeah, what? it's a new frame. Yeah, the picture was not ruined. Are these <laughs> shot out of sequence? <laughs> they just uh, got a new frame and a new picture. Yep, multiple copies. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. You only get one eight by ten. And several wallets. You don't get two A by tens. They know a guy at the Twin Peaks Kinkos. All right. It's a Kodak store, let's be real. But uh, okay, so I thought I liked Shelly, but now I don't because of this scene specifically. <clears throat> She's at the diner. There are two old men sitting at the countertop, and she is recounting to them the events of the funeral. Poorly. She says, so here's the coffin, right? It's it's the guy's daughter, right? And he jumps on top of his... <laughs> and it's a, it's a spring-loaded napkin dispenser. Yeah, him on top of the coffin crying as it rises up and down. And these two puppet old men are laughing the weirdest way I've ever seen anybody laugh. <laughs> They're, yeah. yeah it, truthfully, it's one of the weirdest scenes to just transition out of to what's happening elsewhere in the mm-hmm. double R. But it's like, why is this even necessary? All it does for me is ruin the character of Shelley. <laughs> What happens right after that? It cuts to it's, Sheriff Truman and mm-hmm. Hawk sitting with Ed Hurley saying that they are going to talk to Agent Cooper. They Yeah, because it Ed's just starts in the middle of the conversation talking about... I'm telling you, he's never going to figure this out. Yeah, and I assumed he was talking about the murder. Right, yeah, I did too. Yeah. I'll bet on that, that he won't figure this out. Yeah. So Cooper joins him. Truman, I think, mentions to Cooper, like, how would you like a fresh, a piece of fresh huckleberry pie? Yeah. Norma comes up and takes the order. He orders a slice of pie and some ice cream, and she walks away. He turns to Ed and says, Ed, how long have you been in love with Norma? <laughs> <laughs> and then he takes the check. Yeah, apparently that's what they were talking about. Yeah, which like, is awesome. Yes, when she came over to the table, because they are just making eyes at each other right. the entire time. Yeah. So they d- didn't really make that big of a deal, <laughs> make it that hard for him. Uh, but this is where they bring up, like, my new club name. The Bookhouse Boys? <laughs> oh, yeah. The Bookhouse yeah. Boys, yeah. And that there's always been a sort of darkness in these woods. Mm-hmm. Right. That's my favorite part of the lore in Twin Peaks, is that there's something in the woods surrounding the town that just is evil. Is yep. it that man in the woods Ooh. behind Leo? Ooh. Is he the darkness? Was he a manifestation? Was he an agent of the darkness? We don't Does know. he believe in a thing called love? Oh, I guess. Just it. listen to the rhythm of his heart. But yeah, they, 
they tell them that they are a secret society called the Bookhouse Boys that investigate things that they feel like have to do with the with the darkness surrounding the town, and also that they are aware of a, an operation where drugs are being smuggled into the town from across the Canadian border. Uh, they have somebody in their custody. It's Bernard Renault, who is the brother of Jacques Renault, which is the guy who may or may not have put a Mickey, slipped a Mickey in to Big Ed at the Roadhouse. I'm no mule. <laughs> So they have Bernard Renault tied up uh, with James, who's there. Yeah, and James, and then the Joey guy, Paulson. Is that he's the one that got he Don got Donna out of the roadhouse, out of the roadhouse. The pilot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my favorite thing about this is that in the diner they quickly establish their secret, you know, little, little, fake little teardrop, teardrop gesture. Thing. Yeah. And then when they get to the bookhouse, James th- immediately they do does it. it. Yeah. They do it, but then uh, what, what's his name? Joey Paulson. Joey Paulson does this. <laughs> like, I don't think you're a bookhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're initiated, sir. <laughs> but they do have this guy tied in gag. Paul's was nervous. <laughs> but they the have actor, this guy. I mean. They have this guy bound and gagged in the middle of a bar, or not in the middle of it, in the back corner. But yeah, well, that's what it, you do to meals. If anybody had just kind of wandered back there, they would see that this is happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that secret. But, uh, no, they captured him when he came across the border with an ounce of cocaine on him. They're trying to get him connected to his brother. He's like, I don't know nothing about him. He has his own business. <laughs> just, this really th- is it a real accent? Not a chance. There's no chance because this is somebody who has seen a Disney cartoon where there was a French character yeah. and is doing he, that voice. Beauty and the Beast was his favorite movie <laughs> growing up. So he won't give his brother up, and uh, he tells them that Jacques will be at the roadhouse that night. He's the, the bartender. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> this character. I know, it's so, so awful, because then when we do meet Jacques and he calls um, Leo on the payphone mm-hmm. later, he, he has no accent. <laughs> at all. Right. This guy's hey, Leo. Not a the lights on at, <laughs> at the roadhouse. We got to go. <laughs> You're not French or French Canadian. I don't know. Like it it seemed super obvious that he should have a French accent. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, well we get to Leo and he's in the kitchen scraping a shoe with a knife when he gets the call <laughs> because <laughs> He needs a new pair of shoes. Desperately. Someone get this boy some shoes. He's retreading his shoes. Somebody buy a pair of Toms so that Leo Johnson can get a free pair, please. That is how it works. He's trying really hard to get something off the shoe with a knife. I assume it's just dirt. Probably just dirt. being in the woods. Well, if he maintains it as well as he maintains his ponytail, then he takes very good care of his shoes. Oh, yeah. Because it is pristine. Mm-hmm. Gets a call from Jacques. Uh... Starts to head out the door. Shelly's, I guess, coming home from work. This time at night. Yeah. Ask him where he's going. He's like, you don't need to know. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, she shows us that she got a gun. Mm-hmm. Shelly's got a gun. I was going to be the one to do it. <laughs> oh, you beat me to it. <laughs> I had that in my back pocket the entire drive up here. I was like, I'm going to bust that out. It's going to be hilarious. Sure. No, you got it. Mm-hmm. That was perfect. Thank you. Thank you for that. But uh, she hides it with the bloody shirt in this random kind of a countertop Yeah, it's in the side of a cabinet. Uh, Harry Truman goes to see Josie at the Great Northern. Uh, I guess she's concerned. Uh, She has this feeling that something terrible is going to happen. Okay, I also have to point out real quick, the pilot, we mentioned that the deceased husband of Josie was named Thomas Packard. It's actually Andrew Packard. 
So I need yeah. to I need to walk that one back. Like it changed in the show, or we got no, it wrong? No, we got it wrong. Okay. So right. don't at me. It's Andrew Packard. I recognize that mistake, and I'm just now getting the opportunity to address it. So. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, she thinks something horrible is going to happen. She thinks that Catherine and Benjamin Horn are going to hurt her. I guess she knows good and well that they're in cahoots and canoods, canoodling and nude. It's one of my favorite bands. <laughs> in cahoots? Oh, yeah. It's my dad's old bluegrass band. <laughs> <laughs> is it really? Yeah, in cahoots. That's awesome. But Catherine's listening in the entire time via the intercom. So she's aware of everything that Jocelyn is saying to Harry. Which the gain on that front door intercom is like <laughs> cranked way up. Oh, it's insane. But uh, Josie's telling Harry about the second set of books that she found in the wall safe, which Catherine has already pulled. She already has the secret book already in her possession. Hides it in a really strange layer of desk. She pulls out a drawer, pulls out an entire plank with pieces attached to it to make it look like it's yeah. desk accessories. Like a notepad, a stapler, yeah. a tape Just dispenser. Affixed to this panel yeah. on her desk. What a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't know what it is. So Jesse takes Harry to the safe and opens it up and finds that there's only one book because Catherine has already pulled the other ledger. Mm-hmm. Pete walks in says, have you seen my tackle box? <laughs> I was like, the next time you and the widow want to sneak behind my back, be a man about it and ask me. Pete Martell steals every scene that he's in. Maybe I'll just uh, check the truck. <laughs> so Cooper's in the graveyard. He just is. Uh, he's watching Laura Palmer's grave, and Dr. Jacoby comes out in a fantastic disguise. It's just a jacket and a hat. So he approaches him, says he didn't see him at the funeral. Uh, there's a really strange interchange with Jacoby and Cooper where he says, these people trust me like a friend. They come to me with all their problems, but the truth is I don't care. It's like, And Laura was the only person that I actually cared about. Which is weird because he apparently only was seeing her for six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Six months. Odd. Like, what was so fantastic about Laura Palmer that, that she just, per, she just is so pervasive in everybody's lives. She's so involved and everybody cares so much, but why? We don't know this person at all. We don't know anything except what she's done, the drugs that she's on, and the jobs that she did. We don't know her as a person whatsoever. Right. We're back at the sawmill house. Josie asks Harry if it's possible that Andrew was murdered, and if it's possible that the same thing will happen to her via Catherine and Benjamin Horn. But Harry just says, nothing will happen to you as long as I'm around. We're back at the Great Northern in the, I guess, ballroom area. Cooper and Deputy Hawk are in the kind of bar area of the ballroom. They're having a drink. Having a drink together, yeah. I actually really like the scene because Cooper asks Hawk if he believes in the existence of the soul. And Hawk mentions that he believes that there are multiple souls. There is one that exists within us and one that wanders into the dream world. But they are one and the same. One just has a different view of things. And then underneath this sort of narration is Leland Palmer on the dance floor, again, having one of his dance fits, where he just starts to sway by himself and is trying to get people to dance with him. And this is what gets them to uh, get up and kind of intervene and kind of, you know, kind of get him one arm over each shoulder. And they say, we're going to take you home. 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 And uh, that's that, that's where we close that, out. That part was weird and made me uncomfortable when he kept grabbing at women saying, dance with me. Well, he's already done it once at right. home. He, yeah. he had Laura's picture. He said, we have to dance. We have to dance for Laura. And then he's in public, which hasn't happened yet. Right. And it happens again there. And he starts to just grab strangers and say, we have to dance. Please dance with me. Please dance with me. And he's it, losing it. It is extremely uncomfortable. He's losing it. Yeah. He's, he's done. That's what I attribute all this to. Maybe he'll Soul. die. <laughs> Maybe he'll die. In like... Is this a fan theory? 
Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll die on some, some episodes. That'd be great. <laughs> Tyler's ready to kill Leland off the show. I need a little less Leland, a little more Diane. In Tyler's fanfic, this plays out very differently. <laughs> yeah. In his AU fanfic. Yeah. First off, Laura's name is Sarah. <laughs> Her mother's name? Yeah. She's way more of a Sarah than a Laura. I'm so confused. I don't know what's happening. No, neither. Nobody knows what's happening at all in this entire series up to this point. I don't know. Patrick, what do you think about this episode? Um, it's not bad. I mean, it continues the story. I don't know that it was as good as the previous episode. I enjoyed the funeral stuff for sure. There's just, I don't know if there's ever been a more entertaining funeral scene, <laughs> to put it that way. I mean, it's fun. And yeah. Yeah. Tyler. I really don't. I mean, it was for me. It was the first lull episode. Um, I feel like nothing really moved forward. New questions, of course, um, but it seemed like a lot of filler stuff, and that's that's fine. Yeah. There certainly there was definitely a few setups things, or at least with the stuff with like Jacques, I guess, and the brief brief appearance of Maddie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of side arcs that get explored, and there's not a whole lot of the main narrative that gets driven forward. It is a slower, less eventful episode. There are there are some highlights. Uh, the funeral is the key point for me. Yeah. Like definitely the highlight. Definitely the most memorable scene, probably for Absolutely. me. Hot topic as a T-shirt of it. By five. Well, uh, post the Amazon link in the bio. There you go. We will. The description of the T-shirt says: "You may not be able to trust the people of Twin Peaks, but you sure can trust how cool the Twin Peaks funeral m- mourners black T-shirt is." They got you there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sold. Yeah. This is talking backwards. We've. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We're, we've kind of struggled through this episode. It's not a whole lot that happens. Uh, not too much to really expound upon past this point. Uh, if we missed anything, let us know. Uh, you can reach us at talkingbackwardspod at gmail.com. You can uh, catch updates and some visuals at talkingbackwardspod on Instagram. Patrick? Also on Twitter at talkingbackward. Tyler? I, uh, I just look forward to finding out more about Diane. And when is Leland going to die? Is it the next episode? Stay tuned. Answers to all these questions and questions to all these questions to come on the next episode of Talking Backwards. I can put in a DiGiorno. Do you mean put in a pizza? <laughs> I got DiGiorno. It's not delivery. But... <laughs> it's, it's DiGiorno. <laughs>